You're listening to PodcastJuice.net. Podcast Juice is working it like a job and we need your help. Check out our crowdsourcing campaign over on Indiegogo. Details are on PodcastJuice.net. Remember, work it like a job and let's take this thing to the next level. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to PodcastJuice.net. This is the Prince Podcast. My name is Michael Dean and we've got a big show today. But before we get to the topic, i got to introduce the round table. So, he hasn't been here in a long time, so we're going to give him a warm welcome. Mr. Big Ken, how are you, sir? Yay! Right, right. I'm chilling, man. Win a day here in Chicago. I'm just relaxing. All right. Well, thank you for coming in, sir. You have been away for a while. I know a lot of people will be asking, where's Ken? You know, how you been, man? What's been going on in your life? Hey, man, same old, same old. Work, kids, wife, bills, you know, just surviving, man. Right. I'm a little confused. Who are those people? Oh, See, there you, there, you, there you go. <laughs> Excuse that person, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to keep rolling. <laughs> All right. Next up, Mr. Day Dropping. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay, Michael. Fellas, let's, let's get into this. All right. All right. And up next, we have Mr. Big Sexy and Sack, a.k.a. Big Things. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. The TCB tour is rolling on full steam ahead. And yes, I asked about Big Ken. So there you go. All right. Here we go. So we got OGs in the building. Feels good. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Next up, we have one of the newer cats in the game. Mr. Ben, how are you, sir? Good evening. (laughs) This is your panelist, Ben, speaking. (laughs) And this podcast is filled with everything your body desires oh boy (laughs) (laughs) what's up guys man that that was a first (laughs) boy the moist level just went a hundred oh man we doing new things in 2015 there you go all right i assume you're fully clothed and uh (laughs) just mess with you all right well that was dope man shout out to you for that uh next up we have q storm how are you sir <laughs> I love the fact we got so many people and you told us to keep it quick. We're already three minutes into the intros. <laughs> uh, here you here go. We go. Couldn't be cute without the shade. All right. <laughs> Next up is Mr. Sean Hill. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Another week in the life, another day in the life, ready to get it on. All right, all right. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Aunt Pooh. How are you, sir? Well, if I'm alone. If I'm amongst the OGs, just call me Marlo Stanfield. <laughs> okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Wire reference. I can dig that. And my name is Michael Dean. And again, as I said, you're listening to the Prince Podcast. Today's topic, we're going to talk about when did Prince's sound change? When did the music change? Now, there have been many musical sound changes throughout his career. Some very apparent, some maybe not so. And then there's also been some quality of the music changes which we'll also get into so this is sort of a wide topic but i think it's a cool one because for a lot of people there may be some changes that may not seem like changes and i think we can all agree that prince's career there's been a lot of you know starting overs or you know changing styles i should say that have been very apparent and some have worked maybe some haven't worked such as much i don't know so we're going to get into that so to start things off I want to talk about, I want to bring up the first change, in my opinion, and get what you guys think about it. I would say, to me, I think the the first change in Prince's sound 
one of the obvious ones would be the release of Around the World in the Day. Um, until that point, you could sort of look at the main Prince albums, and if you start from, I'm going to just go from Dirty Mind, kind of which really put him on the map on a bigger scale than what he was. You could just trace each one of those albums to Purple Rain, and you can hear the progression of the sound, but it doesn't necessarily mean the sound changed per se. It was still the same kind of style. But I think once you get to Around the World in the Day, there's an obvious, you just dropped the, you know, back then we had vinyl. You dropped the needle on that record on the first song, Around the World in the Day, and you're like, whoa. Like, okay. Most of us were probably coming off of Purple Rain heavy at that time. Some people was up on 1999, but that's such an about face of what to expect and what he sort of delivered on that record. So I want to go to Big Ken first. Yeah, uh, I actually agree with you there, but I, I decided to go back a little bit further. To me, the first big real change in Prince's music and the I, I won't say the quality because the quality of his music has always been good from the beginning, in my opinion. But I think Dirty Mind the release of that album was the focal point of the change. Cause prior to that, you know, for you and Prince, they were dope albums. We all know, but his sound, his musicality was never, never questioned from, from that, from the beginning, from the beginning, you could always see musically skill wise on the instruments. He, he was, he had it faded, but the sound of those first two albums are a lot alike. They kind of like that late seventies, you know, kind of disco-y, inflected type music. It's funky, but, you know, that's the way the sound was. Mm -hmm. Dirty Mind comes out, and I think Dirty Mind is the first album where you get to see how eclectic this guy is, how much range he's capable of, because you get a little bit of punk, you get a little bit of rock. He, you know, he showcases his uh, ballad-type skills, slower singing. You you get the the hardcore funk with head and uptown and it just to me that record started the trend where every album after that he upped the ante in terms of creativity in terms of unpredictability you didn't know where he was going you know from that point forward you know he did he went a little bit one way in controversy then he went a completely different way in 1999 then he you know purple rain and around one of the day parade all the way i would say all the way up through through the entire 80s you know, that can be, to me can be traced back to Dirty Mind. And, and of course, I would say the quality improved. Not that the quality of For You and Prince were not up to par. They were. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying the quality, to me, got ratcheted up with Dirty Mind. Uh, Dirty Mind was almost like an, an announcement to everybody. Like, okay, I'm really here. This is what I'm capable of. And just stay tuned to me. And I'm, I'm going to enlighten you with what I can do. And he just took it from there. Yeah, and I agree with that. I want to also get your opinion, though, on so the difference between, say, Around the World Today and everything that was before that. Right? No, I agree with you on that on that tip as well. You're right, because, you know, you you and I have talked numerous times about it. Around the World Today is probably my favorite album of his, and it was mainly because it was so vastly different. Now, yes, there were underpinnings of Purple Rain. I, mean, I heard you guys debate about the latter and how similar it sounded to Purple Rain and this, that, and the other, and that's all true. But the reality is, you know, when when the needle drops and you start hearing those those Indian chords and that type Indian percussion and stuff from the the song around one of the day, to me, it just served notice, man, that he was just going off on a totally different direction. 
And to me, that opened the door for him to then take it even farther with Parade and go somewhere totally different. Sign of the Times, we don't even have to debate how off the rails that one was. Love Sexy. I mean, it, to me, that's all traceable from around the one a day as well. So I agree with you on that. All right. Uh, day dropping. What's your opinion on uh, around the world in the day? Purple Rain. Uh, you know, because like I said, Dirty Mind, I agree with what he said. And I think it sort of starts from there. And I would say, I would argue that I think Dirty Mind and the rest of the albums, though they have sort of different sounds. Uh, We've grouped them together when we spoke about this before. Right, but they're the same kind of style. Like you could, you could hear that. Well, that is Prince, right? I, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not surprised that he's funking and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when you hear Around the World in the Day, obviously, it's a little different. So I was, what's your opinion on that? Well, um, to... Go along with that, but change it slightly a little bit. I, I thought, for me, 1999 in, in the album itself, um, it ushered in more of a production value. At the same time, uh, you you and that, that lends itself to a deeper sound. You also get a good introduction to some anthem-style sounds that he would later do again uh, with the title track. Um, then you have some, you know, everything. The Annie was up so much on that one. And I think, uh, along with DMSR, with a with a uh, party track, um, and it, it it did a good introduction for Purple Rain. And I think that without the album 1999, you wouldn't have had such a polarizing effect that you had with um, uh, uh, Around the World in a Day. For me, I do agree on that one, though. And I think we'll all probably agree on that as well. Around the World in a Day was just, that was a polarizing album. And for me, specifically the track Raspberry Beret was a polarizing track to a polarizing album in general for the better because at this point Prince is still growing and he's letting us all know that he's going to he's going to march to his own beat you follow him or you don't we've debated this not debated this but we discussed this time and time again so yeah um I agree uh, Raspberry Beret and Around the World in a Day major changer along with 1999 which is a good su- funny a uh, post supplement to that album uh, and, and making it such a sound changer as well. All right. Um, Big Sexy, I wanted to get your opinion, but also wanted to, can you talk to us about, was there any sort of, you think, any pushback from some of the fans of why are you changing this? Why are you moving from this style to this style? Well, clearly because back when the first album came out for you and the, and the big single was Soft and Wet, you know, that was... Uh, you know, late junior high for me, and I remember it going to the parties and all that. Then the second album comes out, and you can tell the progression, and you know who it is. You know who this is when you hear, I want to be your lover, and uh, why you want to treat me so bad, sexy dancer. In 1980, disco as a genre has just about died, and New Wave was really coming on. This album, I'm not saying it's calculated, but it's a calculated response. Uh, but it is, it is a response to being caught up in the new wave with the rude boy and all things of that nature. And a lot of the fans who were more R&B based did not dig it at all, at all, until they heard the lyrics for Head. Then it was like, whoa, this dude's on some whole other level. And also, and this is just an opinion, but also back in the day, a new artist would get, an, would get a deal for three albums. And if you don't break by their third album, they drop you. And since Dirty Mind was his third album, which was a critical masterpiece and still lauded to this day, Warner's knew, okay, we got something here. 
let's stay the course and let him do his thing. Um, when when he fir- going back to when he first came out with those songs on For You and, and Prince, a lot of people were quick to pigeonhole him in that one little dance disco R and B pigeonhole. And with Dirty Mind, he said, you know, I'm not doing that. You know, I can do this as well. And with controversy, he went a little further than that. To me, and again, you know, it all goes to, for me, it goes, first sign post is Dirty Mind. Second sound post is Around the World a Day. And one thing they both have in common is they both created a lot of pushback from a lot of the casual fan. It's like Ernie said, you know, you can get on board with what, what he's doing or you, or you don't have to. That's fine. This is what I'm going to do. I remember reading an article, you know, in, uh, in junior high about the group Kiss, and when their hit Rock and Roll All Night came out, they were asked, why didn't you do another song like this? We don't want to do Rock and Roll All Night Part 2. So when Prince did Around the World in a Day, he didn't want to do Purple Rain Part 2. I've been there, I've done this, let me challenge you guys with something else. And so when you do that, it always, always creates pushback from the casual listener, and I don't like the casual listener anyway. You know, that's when people come along late to the game, and think they know everything that, you know, the seven of us know, and they just don't. So the, you're going to get people who don't get on board with what, what, what the artist is trying to do. They're all about, you know, the easily digestible single as opposed to the whole album, and that's what the whole around the world and Dirty Mind were about, the entire entirety of the albums. All right, Aunt Pooh, I see you have something to say about Dirty Minds. Go ahead. Uh, yes, sir. I... I feel that uh, Prince's first two albums were heavily pop. I mean, I'm sorry, heavily funk and disco uh, influence. And then when you got to Dirty Mind and Controversy, there was the whole new wave, new rude boy, as uh, Big Sexy and Big Ken mentioned. Uh, so I, I understand that you know people see that that was a uh, that was a turning point where. Uh, critics and even underground fans have started to appreciate his music, but as far as his music overall, I don't. I felt like he was following what was the trend at the time, as opposed to setting the trend, being the trendsetter that many have come to appreciate his music. And for that, to me, I feel it's 1999. That's where he perfected the Minneapolis sound. That's where he he. I'm, and this is not going to. This is not in a bad sense. Where he became, he got the formula for his albums. Where he has that anthem song. He has that power ballad. He has that funky, uh, get your ass on the floor dance jam with a DMSR. So, as as respectful that I think that the, the as much respect that D, uh, the Dirty Mind has and has received, I think it's 1999 as that's with him saying, this is this is the type of music I want to do as opposed and being groundbreaking and trying something new as opposed to what was hot at the time, in my opinion. All right. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Ben. All right. So uh, everybody's right. It's one of those things when you're talking about Prince in the 80s, you could pick pretty much any album and make an argument for it. Cause that's what was exciting about being a Prince fan in the eighties, because every year you did get a new sound. You got a new Prince every, you know, every spring a new look, new sound, everything. I will agree that a lot of it started with dirty mind. That's the, that's, that's the album when he was like, fuck it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put these panties on and, uh, I'm going to do something really courageous. It was a really courageous move. He did. So pretty much anything between Dirty Mind and Love Sexy, you can make an argument for it. But I am going to jump on the Around the World a Day 
bandwagon because, like you said earlier, Mike, you know, from the very beginning up to Purple Rain, there was just this progression. You know, it got better and better, these new sounds. It was just, but he just took this left turn with Around the World in the Day. And that's when the Beatles comparison started coming up. And I mean, he just really, that was the second time probably where he just really was like, I'm going to do something really courageous because I didn't built up a certain fan base that's kind of got used to a certain kind of prince. And then I'm going to test you now. I'm going to, I'm going to turn left here and I'm going to do something really weird. And like when I was in high school, they were like huge Prince fans. I was like, Oh, this new album is just a bunch of noise. They didn't get it. You know, it was just kind of ahead of his time, even though it was, has some classic elements from the sixties and whatnot. So I'm, I'm going to go with a run, short answer around the world in a day. That's when, everything really changed. He started making the music that forced us to give him that nickname, the artist, when it came to that name change thing. That's when he really became that renaissance type artist. You know, the, that's my answer around the world today. All right. Um, I'm going to move forward a little bit. I'm going to go to Sean and Q next. But so around the world in the day, you know, obviously there are some you know, big songs, Raspberry Beret. I mean, he did have the hit singles, you know, we had Pop Life, and it wasn't necessarily the end of a video or anything, but that got a lot of play, and it's a classic, and other songs from that nature. But we can probably agree, yeah, there was a change in the sound. But I want to push forward to the next album, Parade. Parade, again, in my opinion, it's a, it's a change in the sound in the most dramatic way, in my opinion. I think it's a beautiful change. It is an artistic change. I think he pushed himself further than he... If you listen to... Uh, parade and go back and listen to like 1999 uh, purple rain i wouldn't imagine i could not imagine in my life that the guy who had you know the purple rain album could write venus de milo or do you lie or do you lie like i would never see that coming and he does it in such a style and grace it just it boggles my mind listen to the album this morning just like this is unbelievable. And and the funny thing about that album to me is that when some people come here in 1999, I hear people that aren't Super Prince fans now hear that and go, that, I like that. It kind of sounds dated. Like those sounds he uses kind of sound dated or whatever. But you listen to Parade, there's nothing dated about that. I mean, he's using non-traditional R&B, funk, pop sounds in that. He's not using things that normally you would hear uh, in different time frames. It's just you know, more of a general classical type of stuff. So it, to me, it holds up, but at the same point, it is so different. But again, I feel like Prince, as somebody said earlier, he has this fan base, this original fan base is what I start to call him now, who were really into the first album all the way to Purple Rain. And then it sound, you know, his fan base sort of changes because he changes his style. Well, how does Parade sit? Is that another style change or is that more of a quality thing so i'm gonna go to sean hill but hey mike can i make one contentious statement go ahead uh from start to finish from track progression to track progression parade is prince best album ever all right i agree with you sean hill go ahead okay i'm gonna use the word evolution rather than sound change because that's the thing for me for prince in the 80s that i always look for so you can you can hear the evolution from around the world in a day to parade um and it's so they're almost the polar opposites but they're kind of 
two sides of the same coin at you know at the same time. I mean, those those songs were featured prominently on the on the Prairie tour uh, seamlessly. So there wasn't really much you know musical difference that he had to do for that tour for those songs. I mean, Pop Life fits right in with you know Another Lover Holding Your Hand for for that tour. Though on 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 record they seem like two different albums. But for me, I think the evolution stopped at um, at Batman, at the Batman album. That that's where that's where it wasn't a step up, but a step back for me. Um, every every other album before that, there was a progression um, of of sound. Some say better, some say worse. But I think you know you, you got the Purple Rain sound. Then you move from that to Around the World of Day. Then you move from that to Parade. You move from that to Sign of the Times. Then you move from Sign of the Times to Love Sexy. And then you get from Love Sexy to Batman, and that's where I got to pump the brakes and say that's where, for me, the style changed. I won't say it, and it never came back, but it was uh, it was changed forever, changed, and never had that same quality and the same oomph that he had before that. That's interesting. You know, I, I look at Batman. I think that's more the quality. In my opinion, is the quality changed because I I feel like you. He sort of went backwards. Sound wise, I mean, there's some classic stuff on the Batman album. Yeah, of course, uh, of course. But I think I almost I listen to it. Some of those songs aren't so far removed to me that I would think about uh, "Sign of the Times" or something. something. Even "Sign of the Times," somebody's got their speakers up loud. Even "Sign of the Times," in my opinion, is almost sort of like I'm going to reach back to the Prince that you kind of know and may want to hear. I'm not going to go so wild with it. I'm going to give you more sort of traditional type prints. Now, the quality of it is exceptional, but I don't think he's like, he's not using sounds on there that are different. You know what I mean? Like as opposed to Parade, which is way out there, the orchestras and everything. Um, uh, if I, I, I have well, to disagree with that, the, the sentiment on Batman. I felt like it was a concept album. It was a movie concept album where he took track by track. I know there were, I believe, uh, Parts of Bad Dance and uh, Vicky's Waiting mm-hmm. were songs that he had already uh, made before. But I mean, I think that that was bold that he came up with a concept of having a song represent a character in the film. I, I have to disagree with that. And uh, maybe you're just speaking on the production end of well, it. I'm but... talking on the production because I would I would argue all of his albums are concept albums <laughs> to that point. You, you could you know, Parade is sort of like that as well, right? Speaking yeah, in the yeah, voice yeah. of the characters, I'm, but I'm saying in terms of the production quality, like Vicky waiting, the drum programming on that is not too far from different from what you would hear on Sign of the Times or even some of his earlier records. He does sort of this traditional print style drum programming on that. It's, he's not, he doesn't go out of the box on that well, album, what, which I, I don't I think they're calling scandalous. Scandalous to me fits for what I would imagine Prince to do. But I want to make this about me. I'm going to give Q an opinion, or I'm not going to give you an opinion. I want to hear your opinion. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, um, as usual, I feel like I brought a knife to a gunfight, but uh, I'll try to uh, muddle through. Um, see, I guess being a relatively latecomer to Prince, or um, I guess I I don't see the uh, the change you guys were talking about. I agree with the Dirty Mind going from Prince, you know, for you and Prince to Dirty Mind. I agree with that. I think that's where Prince first uh, gave us that persona that that he still that he was going to carry throughout the rest of his career being that, that line stepper. <clears throat> but between Purple Rain and Around the World in the Day, Purple Rain, I mean, I knew about 1999. I knew about Controversy. 
just kind of on the edges of my listening, my, my, my listening choices. But when Purple Rain came about, I'll never forget, I was working, I was in high school, I was working um, at my job, and my, my good friend came in and said, you got to check out this track, it's called Darling Nikki. It is the jam. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to go pick the album up. And I was expecting like this beat heavy, I mean, just this this funky kind of like uh, Private Joy type of thing, you know, that, that dance track. And when I heard it, I was like, what the fuck? This is good. I don't know what it is, but it's good. So I say that to say Prince for me, <clears throat> if not for Prince, I mean, Let's Go Crazy was the first time I, I probably sat down and listened to a rock track and said, you know what? I think I might like rock. Uh, he's The reason I love Prince so much is because he opened the doors for me growing up in a family that listened only to R&B for the most part. He opened the door to so many different musical styles that I heard my white friends talking about. And I'm like, this is all really good stuff. So my point is from Purple Rain to Around the World in a Day, it wasn't that much of a stretch to me because Darling Nikki and songs like that and Let's Go Crazy, he already introduced me to, he already told me, Mike, there's more stuff out here. And I'm going to take you on this ride. So I was more than willing to go along with him on Around the World in the Day. So I don't see that much of a line of demarcation there. For me, it really started to come about with uh, Diamonds and Pearls. Because I remember in a Rolling Stone article, I remember this to this day. He said, I'm going to, I threw out all of my drum machines <clears throat> and I'm going live. Everything is going to be live. I remember I'm that. Like, mm. I don't know about that. And then I heard the album, and it was like, okay, this sounds just, this sounds like Prince to me. You know, he had Get Off on there, which was like, whoa, where, where'd this come from? So it started there. I mean, I, I accept that now after listening to you guys, and you guys were like, well, it was the Symbol album where he changed, uh, Graffiti Bridge, and Diamonds and Pearls, I can see it. But for me, the real change happened with, and I was so disappointed, it happened with um, Emancipation. Because in 1994, I bought that album. I was prepared for, I saw the first track was called Jam of the Year. And I was like, oh, shit. This is the guy who gave me all this other jam before now. And now he's free. I know he's going to cut loose now. And then I heard this easy listening jazz piece. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and ever, I have to say, ever since then, maybe with, with the exception of the gold experience and maybe 2010, I am still in search of that album where I feel like this is Prince as I remember him. This is this is the sound or this is the quality. He was that line stepper again. He was giving me stuff that I'd never heard of. All of his albums from uh, Emancipation forward, for the most part, I think I could hear any other artist doing. Right. So for me, it was Emancipation was definitely the, the line of demarcation for me. All right, so the sound changed in emancipation for you. Yeah, it was, it was, and I think you guys put it better than I could ever do. It was, he changed up his, his recording style, I guess. Everything was very polished. It wasn't dirty. It wasn't jagged edged. I don't know what the term is, but it, it didn't have that gutter feel to it or something. It was something missing to it. And, hey, Mike. Uh, yes, sir. You know, when we were talking before the show, I told you I had a good and a bad. Mm hmm. Let me let me put this, let me put this in here. I, I agree somewhat with what Q was saying, and I also agree with somewhat with what Sean was saying. I, I've always liked the Batman soundtrack. I don't include it as one of the upper echelon albums, but 
you know, just like Aunt Pooh said before, I've already kind of given it a pass because it's a soundtrack, right? So that in and of itself is going to be different than a normal album. But, and so I liked it. So I, you know, even though it was a slight down step from Love Sexy, you know, I just kind of roll with it because you're right. There's some classic songs on that album, right? But Graffiti Bridge, to me, is a good project. But Graffiti Bridge has always, to me, been a album where I always thought that Prince either got some bad advice and or he was confused as to what direction that he really wanted to go with his career at that point, because it's a hodgepodge, right? You got some classic material on it, like Can't Stop This Feeling, I Got, Elephants and Flowers, Question to You, Joy and Repetition. But then, you know, you throw in, you know, the, you know, Shake and other stuff that doesn't belong. And and, and I just remember, so I traced the beginning of the downturn in Prince and Sound to basically two songs off of that album. Hmm. One is Melody Cool, because oh, all of a sudden, the, the Prince Minneapolis funk that I had grown up with, that I had come to admire, had turned into New Jack Swing. And that hmm. was one, and I, I just remember hearing that, and I was like, hmm, okay, you know, I'm, just, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. But then the song that did it, where I really realized that the Prince sound, just like you just talked about, the Prince sound that I craved and loved and worshipped and I wanted to hear more of, I realized was dead the moment that the latest fashion came on. When he goes, pump the big noise in the house, oh, that's yeah. what, that, that, that right there is when it died. And, and, and I don't want to over overstate it, but what I mean is, at that moment, I kind of realized that, okay, that Prince from the earth from the eighties that we just talked about, that was the end of an era because then that was the seed that was planted for the hip hop stuff to come. So all the diamonds and pearls took it to another level. The symbol album took it to even another level beyond that. You know what I mean? So to me, that's where the quality aspect started. So I trace it to a song. You know, I would, I I would agree that I would add, I guess you could really, if you want to talk about the seeds, I would say you have to go, unfortunately, you got to go to Alphabet Street or like that's when the rapping started, for, you know, for good or for worse. Like that's when the hip hop jumps into his music. And you're like, okay. and, and I like it, but I mean, that's when he starts to flirt with it. You know what I mean? I disagree with that. I think he started yeah. with it on Irresistible Bitch. I wouldn't call that. He wasn't rapping, though. He he didn't. And his mind wasn't thinking he's rapping. Spoken word. He was just doing his flow. But he's calling it out on Alphabet Street. Like, I need you to rap. Like, he knows exactly what it is. And he's, you know, I mean, like, he's putting that in his music, telling us. I feel you, but I never took that rap seriously because it's Cat. And I'm not dissing Cat. But but you understand what I'm saying? I I just remember listening to it. I was enthralled with the bass line, the chicken scratch right, right. guitar. The, the song is dope. No, no question right, so about I it. I never I never took that seriously as rap. And I, I, I kind of do agree with Big Sexy. You're right. Irresistible Bitch was probably the start of it. Then you had, even though it was released later, we know about Dead on it, you know, that he did. I even dug that, you know what I mean? Because it was just, it was, I took it as a joke. You know, it was funky. I took it as a joke. Right, but, but he's not rapping in that song. No, I agree. Right. But my point is, my point is, is that with the latest fashion, he made a concerted effort 
Okay, not just with the latest fashion. Think about the production of Round and Round with the 808 sure. sound. Yeah, yeah. Think about Melody Cool. You know, all he made a concerted effort at that point to appeal to that sound. And then he all but abandoned the previous Minneapolis funk that we knew, starting with Diamonds and Pearls. Right. I'm going to go to somebody else. The only thing I would say, hey, though, is that Prince, before he did, and I agree with everything, is, you know, to changing of the guard to me was whenever I first heard Scratching on Graffiti Bridge. And I'm trying to remember, was there Scratching in Batman somewhere? It, was, it may it have been some in Batman. It's been very little, but it wasn't Bat, pronounced. That's when I said, wait. Yeah, Bat Dance, yeah. yeah that's it's, it's to be honest, that's when I said, hey, what the hell is going on here? It's, it's, hey, but it's still not as bad as a scratching in latest fashion, man. That no, it's not. Terrible. It is not. That is horrendous. But man. what I was going to lastly say, though, is <laughs> Prince, though, though we may not have acknowledged it, he had made a point, though, to accumulate and assimilate other styles into his music. He did that from day one. You could argue, somebody could say, well, is his style disco? Because I don't think it is. But obviously, he put that in his records early to appeal to that sound. Let me just say this before you move on. I agree with that. But all I'll say is this. Any true artist, okay, and we've seen them throughout history, you know, jazz, Miles Davis, Coltrane, Jimi Hendrix, um, Sly and the Family Stone, you name it. Any real true artist in any genre is going to try to incorporate other styles into their music because that's how and that's how a musician and artist grows. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's the point of it. But yeah. the point comes when you go too far with it to the point that it becomes and you know we're going to use Big Sexy's favorite word when it becomes pandering, mm-hmm. when it becomes when it becomes like it's just too it's it's too sugary. It's like too is is very apparent what you're trying to right. do, and that's what happened with latest fashion and and more so with Diamonds and Pearls and the Symbol album. That's where he became a caricature of himself at that point for those I, couple of years. Go ahead, Mike, Q. I, again, for me, I guess having really been, having really opened the door to Prince uh, at Purple Rain for me as a listener, and then having him, so, so that's my, my barometer, right? That's where I came in full stop. And then for him to switch it up for me, or switch it up on me with around the world in the day. I guess, I, I guess I subconsciously say to myself, if I could uh, go go with this artist when he not no not so much changes his sound, but just changes what he's doing with his sound. I, I think there might be a difference. See, for me, I, I was going to ride that train with him through all of the rap and all of the other stuff that you guys are talking about, where you guys are like, ah, this is this is not good. Um, as long as he was still doing something that I'd never heard before. And I still think even through that period of the nineties, he was doing stuff I still had never heard before. Like, you know, walk, don't walk. I'd never heard ska before. And I was really? like, this is, well, no, I hadn't. It wow. was very interesting to me, but it was, <clears throat> so that, that, that's the differentiation I want to make. I, I don't know if we're talking about different things, different qualities. Cause I think he was still kind of, on the edge, even when he was incorporating all that bad rap. I didn't see this bad rap back then, but listening to you guys, I can look back at it and I'll say, yeah, it was pretty bad. But his sound uh, was... Can I say... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm finished. No, I'm just going to say, um, as far as the, the sound in the uh, 89 and 90, the Batman sound, even the even the uh, the outtakes and the demos that he was making during that time are kind of flat. Um, mind bells and 
good man and your love is so whoa, whoa. hard. Good this. man is good. Don't don't diss good man. Hey, I'm not people dissing take it. it. I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, you're the last person I want to take it outside with. But I'm just saying, even I like Good Man, but but it, it still, it it just those even those demos, even those songs, just don't have the same style as any of the stuff that had come before. So that's why I'm I'm just saying the lack of evolution. Not saying this stuff is good. I, I like the Batman. I'm not saying it's not a good album. I just think that that's where the that was the first time that for me at least there was no evolution there was no change that for you know i from even from if you go if you omit batman and you go love sexy the graffiti bridge to me that's still a step back hmm. i agree with that yeah i do too yeah I, I i agree as a whole the album you know recently i i now listen to graffiti bridge i only listen to the prince tracks as we saw, and, and and when I listen to it like that, to me, this like this shit is mind blowing. I'm like, this shit is great. Like, why shouldn't they? They should have had a separate release of just this. That album would be heralded in a whole different light, in my opinion. You know, but, as long as I've had that album, I've never done that before. But I, I think I may try and see how it see should. how it flows. You should. But it, let me ask you. Wait, I, speaking of release, I can't believe I got you keep this and release Go ahead, Amp, real quick. No, I said speaking of release. You're gonna to have to stop blaspheming. Release it. Uh oh. Oh, here we go. Listen, why? Why? I can respect <laughs> this. I can why. respect the song, but it's nothing. If you when, when they put the Times name on that, you remember? I just remember like my mind at that time. The time is coming back, and it was, you know, Prince is bringing the time back, and Morris. I was like, this is gonna be the greatest album ever. Like, cause all I had to go by was their first previous stuff, which is fire, right? Everything is dope. So when they drop, uh, I don't think Jerk, maybe Jerk Out was out at the time. I can't even remember what came out first. But, jerk Out was back. But yeah, Jerk Out was a banger. I was like, okay, these niggas is back. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And actually, I heard, I did because I heard Summertime thing. They played it on the radio before it came out. I don't know how they did that. But they had played it on a local radio station. So I was like, this is ridiculous. So when I get Graffiti Bridge, I'm ready. Like, these niggas got tracks on here? Oh, man, this ain't even supposed to happen in my lifetime. I hear release it. I was like, the hell is this, man? Like, <laughs> first of all, they're kind of like doing the rapping thing. And I'm like, the production is cool for that era of production. But it just was a joke to me. Like, I didn't understand was Prince. I mean, was Morris trying to act like girl? Like, was he trying to act funny? gay or was that him really doing that i didn't really get it just that's not a good song to me and it didn't make any sense because i'm like why is prince on this song if when i saw the movie i didn't understand it so i i don't think it's a good time song period i don't think it should be called the time that's my i agree i agree man that beat is banging it's on the downfall. You could even see that in the movie with you know trying to some of the dialogue. Kid, you got to see this girl. She's too fine. No, she's three fine. Really, <sighs> really. <laughs> hey, well, hey, fellas, that's a whole other show. We get too far off the subject. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Yeah. Um, now, Mike, you said Batman, and I can understand why somebody would say Batman because it was kind of like of a qual. It went down in quality after Love, Sexy, which pretty much any album would. But I agree with the graffiti bridge thing. And the reason I think that is, 
And if I wasn't so lazy, I would write this essay on how hip hop ruined everything but itself. And there was a thing going on in the music industry right now, at that moment around 1990, where hip hop was just this, this new big force and everybody started changing their game, trying to adapt from, from contemporary gospel to everybody. MTV wasn't the same. Now, Prince had done like his own style of Prince rap prior to that, going back to what? Controversy at some point where he did his form of spoken word rhythmically and everything. But at Graffiti Bridge, I felt like that was the point where he wasn't so much influencing the music industry and he started getting influenced himself. And then that's when they really started doing that hip hop. And it's almost in a disrespect. I mean, he was honoring hip hop, but it's kind of like one of those things where he didn't respect hip hop. Like there's a lot of people out there want to be hip hop artists and they really, their gut is not into the art itself. And it ends up being crappy. And he and Prince, you know, just being the arrogant guy that he is, he was like, well, I can do anything. And now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show y'all that I can do this rap thing, too. But rap wasn't, you know, that's that's not his forte. He does pretty much everything else. But. No, I get what you're start, saying. Yeah. When he started doing the hip hop thing and then from that point on, Graffiti Bridge on, I just felt like the 90s up till probably emancipation i felt like there was more of the music industry influencing him instead of the other way around because even when cat was doing the rap on the love sexy i mean loves love sexy wasn't influenced by anybody probably except for like some george clinton that's the only person i could think that could even conceive an album anything like love sexy so even though she was rapping on that the music itself and the overall style was prince all day and then, like you say, you come in with the latest fashion and this other crap on Graffiti Bridge. And for me, that's where the quality changed. Because I love Batman. I, I kind of went into it on my last appearance where, you know, I could never say anything bad about that because it gave us the scandalous love suite. And I remember when I first put it on, the future was the bomb when I first put in that Batman soundtrack. But Graffiti Bridge was that point where I just felt like the quality, like just him creating from his gut wasn't there for every song. Now, I mean, there's some spectacular music on Graffiti Bridge, mm -hmm. but as a whole, that's when I just felt like the quality changed. And I didn't know that we were about to see like a 15 year progression of hit and miss albums on quality, but that was like the beginning for me more so than Batman. All right. Let's, let's go up to, uh, Diamonds and pearls, and and we and some good things I think were brought up that need to be put in context. Of course, hip hop is going strong, but I think the other dominant thing, in my opinion, to where the Prince is was where was R and B at that time, and that was totally trans trans over to um, New Jack Swing, and and you know pretty much everyone was trying to do Teddy Riley, like he was the guy that yeah. sort of dominated the sound of R and B at that time, and his roots are from a, a lot of hip hop like he did obviously he produced a lot of classic hip hop songs like the show and goes to the doctors and all that kind of stuff so he's from you know that older school and now he is the R&B you know shining point you even have Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are 
trying to sound like him on the Janet records. You know, New Jack Swing is just all over the place. And I imagine that has to also play something into Prince. Like, God damn, I am not the, uh, my sound has been, you know, has had its time and it's moved over. Do I incorporate rap? What about my R&B? Do I try and incorporate that? Or, you know, what is, so I'm thinking this, his whole thing, you know what? Somebody brought up earlier, I'm going to throw away all my drum machines and all that, which is a lie. Because right. he's programming, there's a lot of sample beats and all kind of stuff going on for him. But you're at Diamonds and Pearls, and I think for Prince, you hear, wow, there's some live drumming going on here in the records that I'm not used to hearing uh, as much. Or it sounds, it doesn't, I think the sound of his records change in terms of like, I'm going to record them where it sounds like a band's playing. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not this syncopated beat machine thing going on all the time so it's sort of that's a song diamonds and pearls you hear that and you're like wow okay but i a lot of people shit on that song i think the song is brilliant but the great song uh day dropping yeah i mean diamonds and pearls is a beautiful song actually and uh that's i have uh six points total and then the first three of of mine have been covered with 1999 raspberry beret and parade album my fourth point being diamonds and pearls and I'm still kind of harping on on the whole uh, rap thing because although Diamonds and Pearls does have some beautiful music in it, Diamonds and Pearls being one of the shining stars in my opinion of it, um, I, I think the fact that uh, uh, the rap that is in it is d- distracts from it too much. And this is more in hindsight because for the most part, I thought well, I thought at the time when I heard it, hearing a song like Jughead was just silly ass Prince. And um, I didn't really take it serious. Not until you hear, see it in in retrospect that you can really say, you know what, that's just not good stuff. But for me, I see it as my fourth point being Diamonds and Pearls featuring Daddy Pop, Push, and Jughead. Because he, you know, he, had, he had dabbled, and we mentioned on it, Irresistible Bitch, Dead on it. For me, Irresistible Bitch always seemed kind of like a take on – a similar take to what Debbie Harry did with uh, uh, Rapture. Uh, it was more spoken word type of stuff. Dead on it was just uh, him, and this is one that I that I really focus on. Dead on it at the time was just him uh, talking talking shit to to rappers for, for basically talking nonsense and more talking about themselves. Yet that is exactly what he does in Diamonds and Pearls when when he does rap. It's just braggadocio type of rapping, and it's uninteresting and for the most part unnecessary. He talked about it that way in Dead on it. Yet as being a hypocrite, uh, first in uh, um, uh, Graffiti Bridge a little bit, but especially he perfected that in Diamonds and Pearls. Um, and it's unfortunate that he had to con- contradict this stance and be a hypocrite about it uh, by suddenly, quote, embracing rap as a deliberate means of this braggadocio and that. It's dumb, and for me, it's a low point. Although there is beautiful music on the album. Because that was there, and yes, he he was at the time embracing a new jack swing style. Uh, I always considered uh, even Graffiti Bridge as his version of the House Party soundtrack, and the whole the whole movie was his version of House Party. Interesting, and uh, it's just so cheesy in the way the deliveries are, and the and the wording, and, and the way it's filmed. It, I mean, it was it worked for the movie House Party and worked for Graffiti Bridge, and. Um, yeah, Diamonds and Pearls, in hindsight, started a low point. It would go up again, and I'll go on that later. But for right now, it does show a low point for me in Diamonds and Pearls. 
And that's one thing about about Dead on It. I I, I thought it was interesting uh, on the uh, Diamonds and Pearls tour that Dead on It was the intro to Jughead. Huh. Wow. That mm-hmm. that's see that's contradictory, right? That's just that don't work. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jughead I'm, is in the category all its own. Hey guys, well, I like Jughead. You get, you get no uh, argument from me on that. Yeah. Can I, can I, can I ask pose a question? Would I get? I'm just curious. What would you guys say if I were to say to you that for me, Prince is such an artist that there are really no low points in any point in his career, well, except for Purple and Gold. That there are really no low points. They're just peaks and valleys. I would say you're a cult member. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not being honest with yourself. I'm listening. I'm listening to your. You guys are having. Listen. I, you notice uh, for Q Storm, I'm being very quiet today, okay? Because I'm listening to you guys. You guys have all very insightful analysis. Everything you say, though I might disagree with, <clears throat> you're backing it up. But I'm sitting here thinking, man, I mean, if you take the rap out of that song, wasn't it? It was a good song, wasn't it? I mean, if you, if you think of the song not in terms of the movie, wasn't it a good song? What, what, what is the song? What is it supposed to do? Does it have a nice beat? Does it make you feel a certain way? Does it? Uh, is the arrangement good? I mean, and I'm listening to you, uh, you criticize some of the songs, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm just wondering, are are they being completely what's the word objective with it? Well, I, I think well, I know at least for myself, I won't speak for anybody else. When I listen to a lot of these songs, I I listen to them initially in the context of where I was at the time, and if songs felt like they were a step down to me, that's what they were. Maybe from the outsider's point of view, they may look at that like, this is good. I don't understand why you're being so hard on it. But again, maybe they don't have the years of listening to the music and understanding the progression like I may have or somebody else. So when I can hear what you're saying, like, can you take the rap? The thing is, you can't take the rap out of some of these songs. And when I heard it uh, uh, the other day, I was talking about Love to the Nines. I love that song. Like, I remember when I first heard that song, I was like, God damn, this is the excellence. Like, this and dude then, is, and then yeah. they jump into that, and you're like, God damn it. Like, this kind of ruins it. But I know the song line for line, and I will listen to the whole song, but I will always feel like this song could well, have been a greatest thing without some of the junk that's in And I agree with you there. 100%. Yeah. Hey, Q, I, Q I, I can say that I understand where you're coming from, and, and I, I agree with it to a degree, because I've always looked at it as, some of the songs that Prince has made during this period, which, which, which we've talked about, some of them are terrible, but his terrible is better than probably 90% of the artists out there, good stuff. However, the problem comes into play is that Prince has built up such a cachet. He's built up such a canon, a catalog, and a standard of excellence over such a prolonged amount of time that he no longer can really be compared with anybody lesser than him. He should, he's, supposed to be, he's supposed to be ahead of the pack. Because he is who he is. So that's why it may seem like when we're coming down hard on him, you know, and maybe, you know, he, he shouldn't be blasted as much, but basically he did it to himself. He set a standard of excellence early on and he fell off in yeah, certain areas. Exactly. Exactly. And he calls out, and, and he's the one that will call out stuff for quality. So he has to be held to the same standard, which it seems as if he would cause that real musician, real music by real musician yeah. is a different thing. Right. So he exactly. set the bar. 
and he Ernie, set that you know, standard. We didn't do that. He did that himself. You know, I agree with Ernie. Ernie is right. You know, there are some low points, but then there are some high points that will come right after this. And there's, there's peaks and valleys. You know, there's albums like the Rainbow Children, which mm-hmm. I would consider a high point. But then, you know, you got albums like Planet Earth where he just kind of goes up and down, right? But, you know, no one can sustain well, that level of excellence and, forever. And real quick, I'm That's glad you beauty. said that. Real quick, I'm going to go back to you, Sean. But let's just say we are speaking a lot of some of the lower points, but let's speak of the higher points as well because he's got more mm-hmm. than – I would hope he has more of those. So go ahead, Sean. Well, I was going to say, that's the beauty uh, of being a Prince fan. All right, so when we did our worst show, none of our lists were exactly the same, right? I mean, I think the only song that we overwhelmingly agreed on was Jughead. You know, if you if we were to do a list of the best, I probably our list would not be the same. I mean, so we, we, we all love the man. We all love his out, output. We love his music. But we're not going to agree as to what's the best and, what, and what's the worst. You know, I, I disagreed with with a lot of big sexies lists. I disagree with a lot of biz lists, but I could get okay. I could see how that could be one of your worst songs, but it's not for me. It's not mine. Right. I mean, for yeah. you know, for me, it's like even the first Prince song that I said, okay, maybe he's lost it was Oswald Ryan. That's a pretty good stretch from seventy what seventy eight. <laughs> that's a, that's a damn good stretch. For the first song that I ever like, said okay, maybe I won't put this on my on my cassette or put you know won't won't record this on my compilation. Was a song almost what 10, 10, 15 out ten albums deep. You know what I mean? So right. that's a hell of a career. All right, so going to again, I, I want to make sure we outline some of the great sound changes, style changes. Uh, speaking again on Diamonds and Pearls, Get Off to me was a headbuster at the time for me that Prince could come with something that was, in my opinion, so authentic uh, in terms of the production, you know, the hip hopness of it, the rap of it. I was blown away. I remember when that song came out and uh, Tobias, it was me, Tobias, and another cat, Andy, which those guys in Evil Tambourines. And we were working on music like in the studio. And I remember, I don't know who brought it in first. And they was like, can you, did you hear this shit? <laughs> like, I can't believe this. Like, and they know I me, mean, I'm heavy prince. They're like, Mike, that's your boy. Like, and I'm like, this motherfucker get bad. Like, we need to get back in the in the lab, man. This motherfucker, he ain't supposed to be doing this type of shit. I mean, we could break down where the music came from, but it was a fact that he actually had did it and did it very well, and it didn't sound corny. To me, that was one of the, again, Prince taking a different sound and flipping it, man, and doing the shit with it. I, I still think that was one of his dopest songs. I enjoyed the Get Off EP more than I enjoyed Diamonds and Pearls. I don't know if that's blasphemous or not, but I know I spent more hours listening to that EP mm-hmm. than the actual Diamonds and Pearls album. Outside, that of is like blasphemous, by the way. Well, but let me, it, guys, but uh, when you were listening, when you guys were listening to Diamonds and Pearl, I think the track that precedes that was uh, "Walk." Don't no, uh, "Willing and Able," right? Yeah, it's a track. Okay. So when he gets off of Willing and Able, which, which to me was just an okay song, it was listenable, but just okay. And then this song comes on, didn't all of, I, I know I did, I was like, this is a dope song, but what the fuck is it doing on this album? It, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, only because I, the song, and for me, the single had been out before the album, so I didn't think that. But I can understand how you could could say that. I mean, you could go back to any album. You could say Kiss, and like that song really has nothing to do with any of these other songs production-wise right. on, on Parade, but it's a dope-ass song. Like They're not going to not put it on there. 
But to me, <clears throat> well, I don't. Well, we, and, and to go back to your point, I don't think "Get Off" was originally intended to be on that album, right? That was done after the fact, and because it was a hit, he, he put it on the album. But uh, I think "Horny Pony" was the song that was there in front, in, in the place of "Get Off." So production-wise, it doesn't fit with the album. All right. <laughs> and that's, for me to add another high point to it as well, Mike, to go along with Get Off, for me, uh, it would be the track Cream. The song, um, I could still listen to that song day in and out. And I could rename the song Cream, the story behind it. I could just rename that song Prince because that shit is cool. It's cool and, and, and it's undeniable. It's one of those undeniable tracks. So it's not all, all just doom and gloom, um, but that exists as well. I'm glad that, that Big Ken mentioned what he did about uh, about the the bottom five and and why it matters to do that because you know you can't see things through rose colored glasses and and such is true with with these um, song changes for better for worse sometimes they are for worse but well, you know you got to have that you know what Ernie I wish I had consulted you when we came up with our top five worst songs because you just reminded me of two songs I should have had on my list. And they're What's both that? from the symbol album, Cream and Seven. Whoa! Oh, what? Yeah. Uh, what? You didn't what? say Cream, did you? You didn't say Cream, did you? I said Cream and Seven. So cream is from cream Diamonds and Pearls. For the bottom and five? From the bottom five? Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Cream. Yeah. It's Man, on- Big Sexy, you, you're, you're safe now. Well, <laughs> you better come get him. Well, the bottom five, really? Yes. Well, this is not the bottom five show, so we're gonna keep keep, <laughs> keep moving and stay on. But with, you know, I, I take time. it back. There were there were some low points. You're right. <laughs> wow. I always thought "Money Don't Matter Tonight" was a great song that was highly underrated off that album. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that was just good. the just the yeah. lyrical content alone puts it high on my list on that album. Yeah, that's Side of the Times Part Two. Um, well, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk high point for me, I, I think, and we're talking again. I'm speaking more ev- evolution terms. It's got to be controversy. It, that was that you know that was who is Prince, right? And he he said to answer that question, but didn't answer the question. You know, you you've got more questions now than answers. You know, what was you know considered blasphemy and and co- very controversial? The Lord's Prayer, you know, in, in the middle of the song. You know, why is that there? You know, what's the point of that? Um, you know, you've got you've got the, the chicken scratch guitar in there. You've got I think that's for me, that's that's the song. And, and a combined with sexuality is where Prince became Prince, where that sound all crystallized uh, to what we know know today, because that was the first hour on record. Right. In uh, sexuality. Sorry, the, first, the first what? I'm not doing that again. Thanks very much. Uh, but that was the that was the first one of those on on a Prince record. Uh, even uh, "Do Me Baby" was the first scream on a on a Prince album. So that that whole side is is for me kind of where it took a turn for the better because it, it, it again it introduced the sounds that we would you know we known and love even to this day. Let me guys. Let me ask you guys this a question. We, we went up to Diamonds and Pearls and mentioned some other albums, Planet Earth. When was the next sound change for Prince? Big sound change for Prince. Rainbow Children. All right. So I'd go before agree. that. I'd say. I'd say. Uh, Come in the gold experience. Yep. Yeah. Gold experience. That, that, that period. But then emancipation and Raven to the Joy Fantastic happened. So. 
between 93 and 95, Comcast and Disorder, Gold Experience, that whole sound was, you know, more organic. Now, it didn't it didn't prove popular with a lot of people out there because he was in the midst of that whole name change thing. And, you know, people that wrote him off by there. But, you know, we've all talked about this before on previous on previous shows. He had a lot of great songs through that period. Mm-hmm. You know, some mm-hmm. of them had rap, you know, so, you know and, but they were to me, it was better done than some of the, you know, Tony M stuff. But. They were better quality songs that had they really been marketed and pushed, you know, he could have made made a dent, you know, but a lot of that just got overlooked. Yeah, I, I think to me the the sound changed from what I can what what presented to me or what I was to see was um I think it was uh shown best in uh I believe it's called the Beautiful Experience. That you know, that concert, I think it was a um was it a final four weekend? thing or something they had it in minneapolis and they had the big show at paisley park and you know that's when he did uh days of wild and all of those songs were debut for the first time to me that was a major sound change from right. coming from diamonds and pearls and the symbol and act one and all that you know the band was different he took you know some of the people were gone and again prince was rapping you know i remember Di- Di- days of wild i mean i saw that video and i'm watching like damn i was like but this shit is dope like you know, right. playing the bass not- and then, you know, with the song Shh was like, I was like, damn, like, I know Tevin came out, but he just flipped this and I wouldn't expect that. And the song now, which some people may not like, but at the time I was like, damn, he's doing it. He's he's dolphin. rapping. He's just off into this whole different, yeah, dolphin. all that stuff was just so different to me. Right. And you I know... Thought- uh, yeah, for for me, that's my number five point. Actually, it was the gold experience. Now, I'll, I'll quickly read my notes. They're real short. For me, it was a change for the better because to me, that was more of a true return to to guitar with uh, with songs like Endorphin Machine, Dolphin, I Hate You, Gold. Mm. A lot of beautiful guitar going on right there, and that had been missing for a while. It wasn't so evident. It was always there, but it wasn't so pronounced. With the gold experience and albums around that time. Uh, you really get that. So overall, it's a plus. Yeah, and then of course you also have the the makings of the power trio, uh, evident with with like the Undertaker sessions, mm-hmm. and and all those rocking tracks. It's a plus. It's a definite plus for me. Now there are some some valleys, of course, but overall, I thought that was a a change for the better. Even if it didn't last for all that long, it was a change for the better. Yeah. Um, because of the guitar was back. And I just want to throw in one song too, just in terms of production, in terms of like R and B and what I thought it could have been a bigger song, like songs like the good life. Like I remember when I first heard that, mm. I was like, damn, okay, this yeah. dude can still do, even acknowledge me, which has its roots in you know, Teddy Riley and all that. But I thought he nailed that. I was like, this mm-hmm. is filthy. I don't, I would wish this could blow, but he's doing a, 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 a updated sound and it works. That was a very There's, underrated period. You had dark, you had yeah. let it go, you had some great cum. You had you had all those multiple versions of cum that were dope. Yeah. It just all of it just underrated, man. Does does anyone have a problem with the mastering of uh, the Gold Experience? I, I've I've just always thought it was too loud for a I don't know the technical term, but no, I I want to say that I thought that the Gold Experience. Wasn't so much of a, I mean, like we say, every album is a sound difference, but I thought it was just more of a quality improvement with the Golden Spears. And as far as like the the, uh, mixing of it, actually, that was the first album where I really felt like the bass 
was mixed right because as yeah. bad as Brown Mark was, sometimes I couldn't even hear him. But when you listen to like I Hate You and some of the mm-hmm. other ones, you can really hear the bass the way you're supposed to hear it. So I, I thought that album was more of a quality mm. enhancement more than a, sa- a big sound change. It wasn't one of those drastic sound changes. Yeah, it, it was, was just a... he was oh, inspired my... that he was just he just felt like he was a little bit inspired that year. Yeah, and he even you know got rid of the dancers. I mean, granted, you still had Maite there, but you got rid of the three brother review dancing and him, <laughs> him yeah. with the him with the Jiffy Pop. Uh, you know what do you call it? The Typhoon. The Typhoon. And, the typhoon. They they talk they tossing him up and down like a rag doll. I mean, that shit never hey. looked right for me, man. I remember seeing that on Arsenio where he was doing the dance moves with him and, you know, they flipping him all up and down. And I'm like, to myself, God damn, Prince, come on, dog. I told hey, you, hey, that, hey, was a rough, hey, that was a rough performance to watch as a Prince fan. That was rough. Hey, big kid, you forgot to mention the the, the fashion faux pas, though, that, that gangster glam with the, the Oh, come sock. on. I, I was purposely... <laughs> <laughs> ass out, man, ass out pants. Man, leave the man Kenny alone, man. And <laughs> oh. oh Wearing that on roller skates at the same time. Come Pause, on, big sexy. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's stay on target. We're not going into the fashion choices. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's go to Rainbow Children. Obviously, another signpost. Uh, quality. Was it a quality change or was it a sound change? Both. 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 I, I think that's. I think that's the best album since the eighties. It's the most underrated. It's one of those polarizing albums. It's like, as Prince fans, they either hate it or they love it. I, don't, I haven't had one conversation about that album where somebody was like, ah, it was okay. They either loved it or they hated it. I loved it. I was like, Prince is back. I felt like that was the guy that made those Paisley albums 20 years later. It was a theme album from beginning to end. It didn't sound like he had just written some songs over the last three years and bunched them together. It felt like from the very beginning, he had an idea and he went with it and, and worked it out. And I just think it's some of his best work. And it wasn't it wasn't commercial or anything. It was just he was he was on something special that year. And a lot of people hate it, but I just think it's one of his best albums. I just, album. I just think the religious the religious tone put off a lot of people. I know I played it yeah. for some folks and they just they, they they didn't understand it right. what he was talking about and it put them off and and you know the rest even though the music was dope and the whole production was dope it just put a lot of people off. I'm about to prepare I, for a big sexy yell at me here real quick. I was at the uh, the listening party at uh, at Paisley Park during. I hate um, you. Thank you. There we go <laughs> <laughs> for the celebration that year. And I I I want to say I was there day three. Um, I got there day three, and all everyone was saying, "You got it. You got to go listen to this album. You got to go listen to this album. You got to go listen." I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna go." So I go in and and they gave you a booklet with the lyrics, right? They, uh, I, I would say about 50 or so people at, at a time in one of the studios. They pop the disc in and, you know, everybody's opening their book. They're following along. And just just for me, looking around the room, just watching people, you know, facial expressions and, you know, bobbing their head and laughing when you're supposed to laugh. And um, it was funny because by the time it got to the work, that was the song that had been out. So most people knew that song. Everybody was, you know, kind of, you know, put the lyric book aside and was just kind of grooving to the music and then, and getting back to it. Now I must say the, by the time we got to the wedding feast, yeah, everybody was kind of looking at each other going, okay, what was that about? But I got to say, by the end of the album, 
there was this collective silence. And then, like, it's almost like a cliche, and I hate to say it, but it was this collective silence. And then all of a sudden, just this big thunderous applause. Like, everybody just, yeah, you know, just clapped and clapped. So, and then, you know, you that's all, all everybody was talking about for the rest of the uh, celebration. Uh, Somebody outside was, or something? <laughs> what, stole a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the rest of the time was like no matter what you do for the remainder time that you're here you've got to get into one of those listening sessions and, and listen to the album and regrettably i met, the next day prince showed up to one of the listening sessions and and chatted with the folks there so i kind of mad at myself for not going to the to the next one but but that was my experience listening uh, thank you big sex i want to <laughs> I, I just want to say that um Okay, I, I will say this, and I will suffer the slings and arrows. I have yet to get through that album because I just cannot stand the preaching. I cannot stand the Jabba the Hutt voice. <laughs> and for me, um, for me, I'm going to. I'm, I got to drive up to New York to, tonight. I'm going to put it in. I'm going to listen to it. But to me, that album did to me what. It what around the world in a day did to most Purple Rain fans. It completely alienated alienated me. I ran out to buy it. I popped it in when it first when it first came out. I ran out to buy it. Popped it in. I think three tracks in, I took it back to the store. Ooh, the wow. third track is Digital Guard. And every time I I don't even remember. I, I don't remember. I'm just saying the third track. Okay, I'm I'm extrapolating. I'm uh, using hyperbole. Very early into the album, I was like, "What the hell is this?" Took it back. See, that's the kind of thing that you have to stop. There are so many albums that I had of Prince's when they first came out where I probably was like, I don't understand what the fuck is going on here. Like, is this not my expectations? I I remember when uh, Love Sexy, when that first came out. I love Love Sexy when it first, when I first popped that in, I was But I'm just saying, in in terms of why you're talking about this, I was like, this is not what I expected it to be. This is not going to be just me playing it and... I love it off the gate. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get into this. Batman was the same way. I was it's like, I was disgusted. I was like, this shit is corny. Really? Like, what is he doing? This is not scientizing it. But when I kept listening to it, I caught up to it. I was like, you know what? I'm crazy. This dude is on some other <laughs> shit. This is Prince. This is, what he's, this is what he does. And so I'm just saying, in terms of Rainbow Trojan, you should say, you, you, I'm glad that you are going to sit back and listen to it because it's supposed to be Prince's albums, the good ones, are supposed to be ahead of where you where you're at musically. This is Prince. I, Prince he uh, is that Mark, dude. Even I the stuff you. that he's talking you may be on the, some other stuff. But well, sure, I know. I'm just, but I'm making my point. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I think the great albums do challenge us at times, and the ones that are out there on some other stuff. What he's talking about you know, all the religious stuff, whatever. I, I don't understand why people get into a thing about it because if it isn't your point of view, why does it matter? Like, unless you just think it sounds crazy. Like to me, when I say sounds in terms of the rhythms and, and the tonal of the music and the voice performance, like if you would say you have a problem with the job of, I can understand. Okay. Maybe that is grating to you, but I, I just can't, voice. Yeah, I can't understand when people be like, he's preaching to me and I okay, but, there's a lot of dope albums to me that may go totally against my mindset at that particular time. Some people may not be in the public enemy because of the stuff they're talking about. Some people could be against Cube, what he's talking about, or Dre, what we talk about. 
but that shit sounds dope. I understand. <laughs> Mike, hey, can I just say something real quick? On cue, on cue, the Jehovah Witnesses are walking down the street right now. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. On cue. Hide. You better hide. Close they, the don't, they, don't, they don't want to talk to me. But but Rainbow Children is a fantastic album. Let me just let me just let me just take ten seconds, well thirty seconds to rebut that. I I, I understand what you're saying. You don't you're talking you're preaching to the choir. I said initially, Prince because I stayed on on uh, board with him from Purple Rain, and it made me go back and listen to 1999 Controversy, even the first two albums. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I was willing to let him lead me down that path, and he opened up all a new vista of musical sounds to me. But what what put me off of that album is that it's like okay, so he would pre- he preached in uh, he, this track God. He preaches um, he preaches he's preached all the way through, but it was in tiny doses, which almost made it palatable for each album. It was like a little interstitial for his tracks on each of these banging albums. But here. It's so much of an agenda. It sounds like, which like, is dude. nothing wrong with that. With, well, every it, album has everybody got an agenda. But I think he just goes overboard with it on this album. I, I can I can respect what you are saying. I just again I would just say like you know what I don't have a problem unless he's unless I am just totally against what he's talking about and I'm offended by it. But I'm not offended or put off by anything he says. But I'm not, that, offend, I'm that not may offended be his by what he's saying. Point of I'm view, offended. but I wouldn't. I personally just don't see it as. Like he's preaching to me. Like even if he is, so what? Like that doesn't mean I'm gonna buy into it. I'll go. I'll go as far as saying this. I just want to. Go ahead. Mike, understand. I'm not necessarily. I mean, I have my views on religion. That's fine. I respect anyone else's views on religion for the most part. I'm not offended that he's preaching about religion. I'm offended that he's taking time on this album to to in in this. this um, voice that is so uh, self-indulgent, that's what's offensive to me more than the religion that he's talking about. It's like, if you want to talk to me, talk to me through your music. You can talk and talk to me in a voice that, that is not so alien. All right, go ahead, I'll, Ben. I'll go as far as saying this. I'll go for another Jehovah Witness album if it's <laughs> going to inspire him <laughs> to write from where he came from on that album. Because I would agree with you. You know, because like, you know, like Love Sex, he came up with this whole this whole concept album on his spirituality or whatever it was. And I mean, he put his foot in it. And the same thing with Graffiti Bridge. So I'm like, I mean, not Graffiti Bridge, but Rainbow Children. So if that's what it takes to make this guy really do some inspired work, he can do the next two, three albums, Joe. Because I can, like Mike say, I can ignore as far as what he believes versus what I believe, you know, I, I listen to music all the time where people believe something other than what I believe and I enjoy it. But if it's going to really make this dude be inspired and do something really special, then do another one. I prefer that than just right. this regular old pop music that's uninspiring with party music that nobody's partying to. And, all you know, some of these other albums that were, we consider low spots, that was a high spot. And if that's what it takes then go all out. Be be the voice of the JWs. If that's your, if that's going to make, <laughs> yeah, if that's going to, if that's going to make you really inspired to do something special. Because I'm going to say this, I don't even think he should be doing pop music at all at this point in his career. If he's, if he was continuing the evolution of what he did in the '80s, and it just became like, 
you know how we called him the artist. He was just doing like more inspired stuff. I don't think he should be doing pop music at all. We need more albums like the, the what is it, Expectations or whatever it is. That's what I was about to say. It, it doesn't just stop at Rainbow Children. The other stuff he did at that time, too, was exceptional. The Expectation albums, you you got to have both of those together. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he took those songs on the road, too. Yes. That, that, that was, you know, that's kind of the icing of the cake, which, you know, we really haven't gotten for the for the rest of these albums. I mean, he, well, he performed... I, 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 a, I was going to say he performed the vast majority of those songs on tour, which he doesn't really do. Well, I have I'm holding the CD in my CD in my hand right now, and 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 understand also, I I do put some of this on myself, like you said, Mike. I I, I shouldn't just dismiss it. I put some of it on me, but I just wish Prince would meet me halfway and just make it more. More listenable. And, and never I'm glad you were that. <laughs> right. I'm glad you were that celebration with me, Q. You'd have walked out. <laughs> well, I, like, you know, Mike. I'll say this: I'm glad that that Benjamin brought up because it's the reason, kind of the reason why I actually did not list the Rainbow Children as one of the changes for better or for worse because it seems so short. Uh, just like it's 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 it would be difficult to try to put on uh, um, uh, a parade as a soundtrack or graffiti bridge as a soundtrack or purple rain as a soundtrack as as changes of sound but dismissing them because there are soundtracks i'd have to dismiss the rainbow children as a changer of sound because it only happened that one really that one album i would love to see it happen a lot more because then i could say you know what that was a change because it continued on and then he showed that that was going to be happening but it almost like he got tired of that after that one album it's good. Yeah. It's a good album, but it seemed like he got tired of it after that one album and went in a totally different direction. So I don't, I don't have that really as a change. It's, it's a interesting uh, thing to hear, but it's not necessarily a change because they didn't continue on. Another reason I hate musicology so much because that was the follow-up album. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like mm-hmm. fire and brimstone. And let me just go in then on my sixth and final point now that you said musicology for me my the last point that i have in terms of change and i kind of leave it open for listeners as well and and for the panel here musicology all the way up to the present day uh to me it's stuck on safe there's there's a lack of challenge to himself or his music you know he has he's got the ability we know that because we see it from time to time and time again he shines that way but he seems to pass that off i think that musical ability under a different label he calls it the past. And reinvention, reinvention is only comparable to your previous album. You reinvent yourself according to your previous album, as far as I see it. And he hasn't gone down that road since Raid and or Sign of the Times. And th- this stretch of this stuck-on-safe sound, it's extended for about 10 years now for me. It doesn't mean the music's bad, uh, but it's just that it's safe. And, um, you know, so... People can then judge. Well, is that for better or for worse? I don't know. I think it's a, I think it it ends for me. Well, it, it's continued to go on for me for a long time now. Not better, not worse, but just eh. And that's kind of where it's been. And that's I think that's kind of the general consensus is that a lot of his albums for the long time people are waiting for that album to make them say hell fuck yeah because it's been so eh for such a long time. Hey, can um, I ask- Oh, yeah, sorry. no, that was that was it. That was it. I just want to ask one quick question. I am, since I'm a child of the 21st century now, I am digitizing this, and I see in iTunes the last six or so tracks are untitled and they're four seconds long. 
it's just dead air. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. For whatever reason. Some weird shit. I thought it was gonna be a hidden <laughs> trap. I did too. <laughs> First. Uh, Big Ken, uh, what do you think about Rainbow going forward? Any changes there? No, I mean, he was on that whole jazz tip along through this period, you know, and that that didn't last too long. I mean, it was good while it lasted, but, you know, not too long after this is when he started doing some of the more, like he said, safe albums that we talk about, the musicologies and all that kind of stuff. So this was kind of a, a flash in the pan, so to speak. You know, it was kind of a one-shot deal, this little area right here where Rainbow Children was was a part of. Unfortunately. And I think he missed the opportunity there because, you know, he had, like, the animated characters on the on the uh, cover and everything. He should have just went all out and done, like, a little animated cartoon or something and made that, like, the soundtrack to it. I think he missed the opportunity there. You know, it's interesting. It was Rainbow Children was more of an independent release. It wasn't on a major for that one right. but the next yeah. albums after that have all been <clears throat> major albums for the most part you could argue that Lotus Flower was you know a target thing but would you th- I wonder if you know he did Rainbow Children for whatever reasons he did it and realized you know it's not going to be singles on it but you gotta I gotta think like it spawned one of his greatest tours right I agree which probably you yep. know uh, the band was ridiculous somebody mentioned you know, the they did perform the actual songs from the album, which is something he probably hasn't really done. He hasn't done since extensively since then. And another thing I think that Ben brought up was good. I think Prince. Yeah, I think you're right. He shouldn't be a pop star. He should not be trying to do pop music. That should be like if you write that type of song, fine. But your albums from this point should just be strictly whatever the fuck. Well, really whatever you want to do in term, yeah. yeah you should just be on some other stuff at this point because he can that's why right and and at the, and I think the reality is bad or good you'll never be a pop sensation again like, can I say one more thing you're not going to oh. be that your time is passed uh, the, the way the system is set up which I'm sure he knows there's no way in hell he will be at the top of the charts uh, with the young kids Another reason he shouldn't do any more pop stuff because he doesn't play by the pop rules. And the example I'll bring up is that a lot of people hate uh, Artificial Cage. I love Artificial Cage. But what's the point of doing that in an album like that if you're not going to do the really cool commercial video and, and, and sell it like that? You know, he's doing pop music, but he's not pushing it to the pop audience. Right. He's not playing the game. Yeah, he's not he's playing not the play- game at all. So, so, why even, so why even tinker with the music? You should just be. You should just be out there. And I'm like, I've always liked Weird Prince mm-hmm. more so than you know. I mean, outside of like the early stuff, I like him when he's weird and mm-hmm. doing like some really crazy. You know, like that's why cuts like something in the water and and Annie Christians are some of my favorite tracks because that's when he was really like this weird mad scientist type of guy and the whole Love Sexy album. I like Weird Prince when he's doing a commercial thing, and it's it's hit or miss. You know, I think I think to the public he's trying to appeal to, he's always weird to them. Like, I don't think he's not the weird yeah. guy. But it's funny that you brought up Artificial Cage, Artificial Age, the album. The fact that he does not, he does, he's doing nothing for that album, that album is actually doing sort of well on the R&B charts, uh, right? And I think they just, as you saw on the org, they're adding uh, or they're releasing This Can Be Us as a single now, and it's going to radio. And I think there's some promo video online. 
So it's funny that his stuff is has a life unto itself, even if he's absent from it. So that's why, like, one hand, I don't know why. You know, I guess we should ask the question, is he really trying to be a pop artist? Like, Plexum Electrum, in my opinion, may not be a pop record, but I don't know, maybe some people may feel it is. But I don't think it necessarily fits what pop is today. I would put it in the rock pop category. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Artificial Age, to me, is just R&B type of record. But again, you know, he's not playing the game, so there's no way that it could be anything. But I think, again, I don't think maybe he should not even be trying to do that kind of stuff. Like, he should just do whatever the fuck good, you know, avant-garde stuff. Leave the trying to have the songs that sound like this genre of rap or dance. That's, he should be, that should be out of his system. Some Some of the lead up tracks before it was released kind of hinted that that's what we were going to get because they were so different sounding and you thought wow okay this is what he's doing on his off time what are we going to get when it gets released and when it got released it again it was safe yeah so yeah well i remember being disappointed that we didn't even get a uh, studio version of uh, xenophobia when when uh expectation came out <laughs> like what what that's what what'd you do with that track where's that that's right yeah uh, all right. So, any well, last uh, things before we wrap this up? Go ahead, Q. I was going to say, and I, I'm sure Ernie will agree with me that um, when you say you don't want him to do any more dance or pop tracks, I mean, if Prince can write a dope ass pop or dance track that you know maybe harkens back to the you know like a pop life or an America or a Raspberry Beret. I don't see any problem with that. And Ernie would agree with me that he's got a track that he played that the, um, his engineer, what's the, what's the guy's name? Oh yeah. The um, X is, the X's face. Shit. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, uh ben, ben was saying, uh, write some more Jehovah's witness shit. If it's going to make inspire you like that. If he has songs like that, that I'm waiting to come out and it's a pop dance track. I don't care. Write them as long. All that matters is if it's good. Yeah. All right. Any of the last words? Wrap this up. Uh, well, just because I wasn't on the other show, can I just very quickly just say uh, my ultimate Prince band, John Blackwell on drums, Sheila E on percussion, Wendy, Lisa, Matt Fink, Rhonda on bass, Eric Leeds, Atlanta Bliss, Cat Dancing, and Prince on whatever. I just wanted to get that out there. All right. All right. No love for Najee? <laughs> no. <laughs> shout out to Najee alright ladies and gentlemen you've been listening to the Prince Podcast uh, as we always do about this time we're going to go around the room so you can find us online offline uh, Big Ken where can they find you sir uh, theflavorfoundation.com you know I don't really do the Twitter Facebook thing I got accounts there but I'm not on them enough to even mention them so just go to flavorfoundation.com alright Mr. Day Drop find me on uh, Facebook under Ernie Wiles, last name W-Y-L-E-S and uh, I'm on it quite a bit alright Mr. Antpoo find me on Twitter and Instagram at Antpoo alright Mr. Big Things aka Big Sex I can be found on Facebook under Mark Wiggins and uh, Twitter under Big Sexy and Sack alright Mr. Sean Hill all right, you can find me on Twitter at Hill Street Views and also Facebook, Sean Hill and Real Movie Talk and my blog, hillstreetviews.blogspot.com. 
Mr. Q Storm. Uh, I love how someone goes outside when it's my turn. <laughs> uh, you can find me. On- put your opinions on the bus out of town. Yeah, okay. All right. Don't get started. Right. Let me let me stop, <laughs> Mr. Chester. Um, you can find me on uh, QStorm.com forward slash lightning strikes. Uh, you can find me uh, on uh, Facebook as Michael Jones. And you can find me on Twitter as uh, at QStorm3476. For the next eight weeks, I will be working with the one and only MC Light, uh, producing a show for Centric. I will try to get photos up there for you to check me out, and uh, hopefully I will survive the experience. All right. Congratulations to you, sir. Nice, yeah. Mr. Ben. Uh, Instagram, at Benjamin Virgo, and I'm on Facebook, Benjamin D. Brooks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you can uh, definitely follow us uh, on Twitter at Podcast Juice. Also, look us up on Facebook, Podcast Juice. You can follow me at M Dean. Also, I'll put a link on this show, but download the free album Lake Minnetonka, aka Things I've Learned from Prince. It's a lot of good little beats and different things that kind of have that style to it. But like I always say, enjoy your day, your night, and work it like a job. Peace. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. The hell was that? All right.